Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. You're fantastic at coding, but do you have an action plan to take it to the next level? The upcoming book, Next Level Freelance, will help you optimize your freelance business for happiness. The book is packed with actionable steps to make more money, case studies, tips to find more clients, and exercises for you to establish your desired lifestyle. Extras include nine interviews with freelancers who make great money while enjoying great work-life balance, videos on strategies to find quality subcontractors, and videos on making more free time by outsourcing your daily tasks. Check it out today, nextlevelfreelance.com. This episode is sponsored by PlanScope. PlanScope is a project management and collaboration app built for freelancers and the way they work with clients. It makes it easy to price up new estimates and once you're underway, help answer the question, will this get done on time and under budget? I've been using PlanScope to do my estimates and manage my projects and I really, really like it. It makes it really easy to keep things in, in order and understand when things will get done. You can go check it out at PlanScope.io. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 81 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Curtis McHale. Hello. Ash Dryden. Hi, everyone. Eric Davis. Hey. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week, I just want to remind you that I did put up that video that I was talking about, goingroguevideo.com, where you can uh, learn about my story of how I went into freelance and the mistakes I made and the things I did, and I'm really excited about it, and I hope it helps some folks out. We also have a very special guest this week, and that's Michael Port. Hi, good to be here. It's great to have you. We uh, we read your book, uh, book your book yourself solid. Yeah. Um, I know that you have a few other things going on. Do you want to talk about those? I've been looking at some of them. Oh sure, yeah. Well, I've written uh, five, almost six books if you count the multiple editions. So I've I've written uh, two editions of Book Yourself Solid, and then I recently came out with. Um, a completely new illustrated version called Book Yourself Solid Illustrated so that you don't have to read the entire thing. You can now see uh, all of the concepts uh, illustrated out, really a fun design. And uh, I'm really proud of that. And I can brag on that because, of course, I didn't do the illustrations. A visual strategist named Jocelyn Wallace did. Uh, I wrote a book called Beyond Book Solid, which is what you, what do you do when you get book solid, right? You know, you hit the ceiling and you, you feel like, you know, it, it, it's not worth it anymore. How do you build something more scalable, leverageable, profitable, etc.? I wrote a book called The Contrarian Effect, which is about why it pays big to take typical sales advice and do the opposite. And um, I also wrote a book called The Think Big Manifesto, which is about thinking bigger about who you are and what you offer the world. Awesome. I, I did get kind of the feel of thinking big from Book Yourself Solid, so... Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's my theme throughout all the work I do. I mean, the reason I do what I do is because... I want to help other people think big about who they are and what they offer the world. And in the process, you know, I get to do it for myself. I think really, um, I think great personal brand identities are based on fully self-expressed people. And when you're fully self-expressed, you know, you're pursuing the same ideals that you are, um, that you're infusing into your marketing, into your branding. And so, uh, I, you know, right from the start, I, I mean, I, I had no idea right from the start that that's what you needed to do. You know, I, I sort of figured you needed to be like everybody else at the beginning so that they took you seriously. You know, I started my career as an actor, which I guess is the ultimate freelancer, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then I, I left acting and I spent about five, uh, six years in, uh, in business in the fitness industry. And then I went out on my own and I thought, well, if anybody knows that I'm an actor, you know, they're going to think, well, what does he know about marketing? He's just a dumb actor, right? That was, this was my small thinking. 
And uh, you know, and when you and when I when you do think about it, it took me a while to realize this that the actor is a storyteller. Marketers are storytellers. Hopefully, they're telling authentic stories. Actors are performers. I'm a, a professional speaker, so I can perform. And um, I understand self-expression. And and fundamentally, for the freelancer, people are hiring you because of who you are and what you stand for. And so, this idea of a unique selling proposition is is well and good when you're in business school. But what makes a freelancer unique? is who they are. And if you want to be distinct, then you need to be more yourself. And so it took me a while to realize that. But uh, once I did, then things really started changing for me professionally. That's awesome. I, I really I really like that too, where I feel like sometimes I hold back a little bit. And I don't know. I, maybe well, I look, I mean, we all do that, you know, to, to one degree or another. Uh, if we, you know, I mean, we, we have to censor ourselves sometimes, right? So there's some things that, you know, we think or want to do that are inappropriate in some situations, of course. But most of us are afraid of failing, afraid of rejection. I mean, these are common, common feelings to have. And when you're out on your own as a freelancer, you know, you're going to get rejected all the time. And so, and that's hard. And, and, and sometimes, we feel like if we if we are more reserved, if, if we hold ourselves back a little bit, then we won't get as rejected. You know, it's harder for somebody to say no to us because we're not different. You know, we're not unusual. And that's it's it's just the opposite. You know, you often get rejected. You know, when when you're bland. You know, when you're watered down. Plus, when when you think about rejection, you, you know, people to a certain extent it feels like people are rejecting you because you're the freelancer. Uh, and they're not always rejecting you. Not always. It, it could be, you know, they're saying no for a, a whole host of reasons. And um, and our job is simply to, to do our best job to work as hard as we can to reach the people we're meant to serve. And if we can reach the people we're meant to serve, then our job is to do uh, uh, is to is to demonstrate to them that we are the best person to serve them. And I think that one of the big myths uh, that the marketing educators. Uh, continue to uh, to sort of perpetuate is the idea that marketing gets you clients. Marketing doesn't get you clients. It just creates awareness for who you are and what you offer the world. So if I come on your program and there's somebody who hasn't uh, heard of me before and who's listening and they go, I think, I think he seems like I, I get what he's saying. It makes sense. Sounds like a nice guy. Let me go look into one of his books or let me go to his website and look if there's anything that I can read or his blog or I can download, you know, that kind of stuff. That That's all that's going to happen at that point. They're not going to listen to this, go, I got to buy everything this guy has. You know, maybe they'll go buy a book, but that's a very, very small investment. And so the, the process of, of um, what you do once somebody becomes aware of you, up until the time they buy from you, is what's most important. And, and that's that's the process that needs to be developed very well. So you build a foundation for your business so that other people feel comfortable standing on it. They feel like this was built for me. I feel like I'm meant to be here. Let me give this freelancer the opportunity to, to earn my trust. And now the freelancer needs to go about earning trust over time because trust isn't built in an instant. And if you have a well-designed sales cycle that starts with no barrier to entry offers and then earns you trust over time so you can make sales offers, and this is important to understand, make sales offers that are proportionate to the amount of trust that you've earned, and you know how to price your offers in the sweet spot of your clients or customers' desires, and you know how to have a simple sales conversation 
you'll book the business. Now, no one's going to book the business every single time, but you'll book the business more often than not if you follow that sort of systematic approach because you're having the sales conversations at the right time. And that's the key. Often we have the sales conversation too soon. If the sales conversation happens too soon, you know, it falls on deaf ears. We need to make sales offers that are proportionate to the amount of trust that we've earned. So we use a few of the core self-promotion strategies. They're not complicated. You've got networking, direct outreach, referral strategies, speaking strategies, writing strategies, and web strategies. They just create awareness. People become aware. They come check out your foundation. If your foundation is strong, they give you an opportunity to earn their trust. You go about earning their trust over time. You start making sales offers that are proportionate to the amount of trust that you've earned. If your if your prices are uh, if your offerings are properly priced and you know how to have a very simple sales conversation, then you'll book the business. And ultimately, people are coming to you saying, "Hey, I'd like to have that sales conversation," and that's what you want. That that really makes you feel comfortable. So, I, I have a question here regarding this. And I, I don't know. I, it, there were parts of the book that kind of addressed it, and parts that I would kind of made me think, but. There are a lot of different things that I do for people. So it's not just, you know, one target market with one product or one series of products. So I do coaching. I do client work where I program for them, you know, an hour for, you know, a certain amount of money. Mm -hmm. uh, there, there are all of these different things that I do. And I've been trying to figure out how to represent all of that. A sure. am, I, am I approaching it backwards? Should I just pick the niche and go after just the one niche? Yeah, sure. So I, I make a distinction between target market and niche. Often they're conflated. Mm -hmm. So I think of target market as the specific group of people or businesses that you serve. It's the demographic. And the niche is the area in which you specialize. You get known for that specialty. And when you get known for a particular specialty within a particular demographic, a group of people, businesses, etc., they'll help spread those messages for you. So a target market is really important for three reasons. Number one, so you know where to find people, right? You know where to find, you know where to go, you know where to do your marketing. Because otherwise, where do you do your marketing? You just put a little card up on the, you know, on the post-it board at the dry cleaners, you know? I, I, that's, that's generally not going to work so well. So you know where to go do your marketing. You know what associations they belong to. You know what, uh, who influences those groups. Uh, you know uh, uh, other businesses, other industries that serve them that are not competitors. So you know where to go do your marketing, number one. Number two, when you show up there, they know you're dedicated to them. You don't work with anybody that's a pulse in a checkbook. You work with people just like them, helping them get the very specific result that they want. And number three, they'll spread your messages for you. And that's ultimately what you want because they're already, they already have established networks of communication. They're talking to each other. And that means your message will spread, messages will spread uh, more quickly. Now, uh, you know, at this point, uh, my target audience is, is broader than it was when I first started. So, you know, dozens or if not hundreds of different types of service professionals will read Book Yourself Solid or come to my programs, etc. But I can do that. I sort of, I can get away with that now because I've established a reputation based on the work I've been doing over the last decade. When I started, I only focused on the fitness industry because I had some credibility in that industry. I had some connections in that industry. And as a result, it allowed me to get booked solid faster. And then, you know, look, there's two ways generally that a service business builds. Number one is you pick a target market and you bring them a very specific service or product. And then once you're booked, booked up in that, you know, in that particular target market with that particular service, you can start bringing that particular product or service to other verticals, similar markets that have the same needs and desires and want the same result and benefit uh, of that result. 
Or, so that's one way, or you can pick a very specific target market. You can bring them a, a very specific product or service that they need. And once you're doing well in that market with that product, you've established some credibility, some real credibility, you can start to bring them additional products and services that serve other needs that they have because they already trust you. And they say, well, you know, he can help me do X. He can probably also help me do Y. And, you know, you, you can do a combination, sure, but I, I think that often it, it helps to be very, very focused and clear and specific and as simple as possible when we're thinking about business development. And you don't meet a, a lot, like, let I me mean, take the medical profession, it's such a perfect example of this. If you blow your knee out, you want to go to the best orthopedic surgeon who specializes in knees. You might have to go to the general practitioner to get a referral because of the way the healthcare system set up, but you're not going to let that general practitioner operate on your knee. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, if I'm looking for somebody to help me, say, in programming, I'm going to look for somebody who works with an audience exactly like me because they know my world, they understand the world in which I live, they understand exactly what I need, they know how to produce that result, and um, that's, that's what they do. This is who they serve. And so that makes me a lot more comfortable. And I'll look for that expert in a particular area, really, really specific. So I know they've done it again and again and again and over and over and over. Uh, so they're not, they don't have to learn on my dime, essentially. And uh, most people, are, that's w what they're looking for when they're out there looking for uh, someone to provide, uh, you know, uh, services for them. So I think when you have a lot of different services that you offer and they are seemingly disparate, uh, you can certainly sell some of each one of them. But can you build a really, really big reputation doing all of those little things because you don't get the aggregate of the work in one particular area? You know, you don't get the, the buildup. I mean, just take your marketing, for example. If you're marketing to a whole bunch of different target audiences or you're marketing to one audience but a whole bunch of different things, it, you don't get stacked up all the marketing efforts that you've done. So, for example, I, I don't need to do as much marketing now as I did when I started or as somebody else who's starting now, because all of the mark, all of the work that I've done over the last 10 years is out there. There's a significant body of work that continues to market for me. And that's because it's in a particular area, it's on a particular topic, and that, you know, I get more and more uh, grounded in that, more solidified. And look, you know, I, I joke often that I'm going to do a, a, a dating version of Book Yourself Solid. So it'll be like, you know, Book Yourself Solid for Dating, a marketing guru's insider secrets to getting more dates than you can handle, even if you hate dating. Because Book Yourself Solid is basically is, is about relationship building. And, it, and when you look at dating, it's is not that different than the way you develop relationships with uh, potential clients when you're a freelancer. I can pull it off now. You know, my publisher says, you know, you've done five successful books. I'll, I'll give you a shot here, right? Even my audience who the ones who were single will go, yeah, I'll read that from you. I like your other stuff. This could be interesting. But if I did, you know, a little bit, of, if I was like a dating coach and I was also, you know, could do programming for you and I would also coach you, you know, around how to travel through Europe, you'd just be like, this guy's all over the place. He cannot be exceptional at any one of those things. Does that make sense? Are you with me on this one? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's a little bit scary, though, to think about narrowing the people that I work with to just one vertical. But at the same time, I can see the benefits. Well, yeah. I mean, let's take an example. So Eric mentioned target market, software companies, niche, rails, right? So and that's Ruby on rails, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, that's exactly right. 
Now, you can be even more specific with respect to software companies. You can focus on a particular type of software. And it, it, let's just look at software companies. If, if software companies in general, let's say we're going to go general, were your target audience, how many software companies are there in the U.S.? A bazillion. Lots. <laughs> yeah. So, so do you think, there's, do you think you're, you're limiting yourself in any way by saying, okay, I'm going to focus on software companies? Let's, let's, take a, let's take a vertical inside software companies. Give me an example of a vertical inside that market. Uh, consumer fitness software companies. Perfect. How many consumer fitness software companies do you think there are? Still quite um, a lot. Half a bazillion, maybe? Okay, so if there's half a bazillion of those, do you think there are enough of those for you to get book solid in? You betcha. Mm-hmm. So, so again, a lot of it is to establish yourself, to really get a foothold. And it doesn't mean you won't work with people outside of that market if they come to you, because if you work with somebody at a software, if you work with a particular software company and they love you, that CEO might have a friend who has a company that needs a certain kind of programming he knows you can do it. He's going to say, Hey, John, you got to call, you know, uh, Curtis or you got to call Eric. You got to call, you know, et cetera, because he's really great. He helped us and he comes to you and he says, Hey, look, you know, you help my friend's company. Can you help me too? And, and you say, yeah, sure. Absolutely. So you can still work with other people outside the market. It just makes your marketing so much easier and it makes it easier for them to spread uh, your messages for you. Well, and that's a lot like how I did it. Like I actually read book yourself solid when I started and I kind of pick like I'm going to work with any company and do Ruby on Rails. And then as I started kind of integrating, you know, like focus on kind of a, a smaller niche in my case, um, I specialized. So I was working with software companies that use Redmine, which is like a subset, subset of a subset of Rails. And yeah. there was like, you know, at first I was scared. I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to have enough work. And there was plenty of work. Like I actually ended up not accepting clients for six months to a year just because I had so much work and so many people kind of on a waiting list. Yeah. And I mean, it was surprising because, you know, you think like, oh, there, you know, maybe I'll get like one or two clients, but I'll have to kind of go and kind of just take anyone with a pulse. And it was the complete opposite effect. And any marketing I did, like you said, like I would release an open source plugin and, you know, it would take me a, a weekend to kind of build that. And then I'd get like a few new clients just from that one thing. And I would still get clients three years later. Perfect example. It's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, my experience has been really similar. For a while, I was working on uh, an open source project management type thing. And all of my clients were specifically for doing customizations for those. And that was over a year worth of work. And I was always booked out multiple months in ahead, in, in advance rather. And the nice thing about that too was that they would then refer to uh, me to other people who had the same, who needed the same kind of work. So really, I I didn't have to do any marketing myself. It was just kind of building up my name in that area, and then that kind of spread like wildfire, which was nice. Oh, that's fantastic! And you know, you can take this a step further. So there's your target audience, and the target audience has a lot of people in it, or a lot of companies in it, and then you can look at well, who's ideal for me? Which of the people? or which of these companies is ideal for me from a value perspective, from a personality perspective, from a characteristic perspective, and even from a project perspective, what kind of projects do you like to work on? And so you'll start to uh, identify who is ideal for you inside the target market because the people that are ideal for you or the companies that are ideal for you are still another subset of the target audience. 
And so this is what I call the red velvet rope policy. And for those of you that read the book yourself, Solid, you know it's the first chapter of the book. And the idea is you create a filtration system so you allow in only ideal clients. And this takes a lot of courage. And I get it, especially when you're at the beginning, you're like, there's no way I can say no to a client. Well, any of you guys ever worked with a dud client? Like a client that drained your energy? Anybody yeah. worked with one yeah. of those? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. one? Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, how did that make you feel? Burned out. Yeah. Yeah, I went up taking a month off when it was done. Oh, oh my gosh. Well, okay. Perfect example. So you finished that client and you took a month off so you had no income for a month, which actually means that client hurt your business, didn't help you make any more money. Yes. And so, yeah. And so it's the exact opposite of what we want. We want to be working with people that energize us, that inspire us, and most importantly, allow us to do our best work. Because there are two things that happen when you're doing your best work. Number one, you love almost every minute of the work you do, which, of course, inspires you to do more of it. It compels you to do more of it, which means you might even want to do more marketing, which means you might even fall in love with the whole idea of marketing and selling your services. So that's number one. You're going to like the work you're doing. Number two, people are going to be talking about your best work. And that's the best kind of marketing there is. But ultimately, what, what usually happens when you're working with a dud client, and, and look, this, there might not be anything wrong with these people. They're just not right for you for whatever reason. Usually what happens is a conflict occurs, especially for the kind of work you guys do where it's project-oriented. Uh, and you guys have heard, uh, uh, you guys all are familiar with Project Creep, of course. Yeah. Yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. Then, there's, then there's working on a project with a creep. And that kind of project... <laughs> That kind of project is a project that you will just, you know, you'll pull your hair out over and be like, why did I ever go into freelancing myself? This sucks. And that's not the, that's not the experience that you want to have as a freelancer. You went into this to have some freedom, to have the opportunity to say, yes, this is what I want to do, to be self-expressed. And that's why you chose to do this. So I say, you know, identify what kind of people you do your best work with, what kind of projects uh, are, are best for you to work on and know when to say no. Sometimes, you know, your success, you know, will come when you know when to say no to the things that are not right for you. Look, at it, just like just like dating, right? You don't say yes to every, you know, opportunity that comes along, do you? No, of course not. I hope not. Yeah, my wife wouldn't be happy about that. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right. Well, there's, you, you signed a non-compete on that one, you know? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> right. So anyhow, that's, that's the deal. You know, the ideal client is a small set of the target market and uh, you're really looking for those ideal clients. And look how it changes the nature of the sales conversation. When you're having a sales conversation, you're able to say to somebody, if it is true, I do my best work with you. You're an ideal client. And they say, what do you mean? Well, I've noticed that you're collaborative, that you, you seem to follow through uh, on the things you do, which means you, you handle responsibility well. Uh, you seem to be very direct in your communication. You seem to have a lot of integrity in terms of the way that you operate. And those qualities really allow me to do my best work. It, it inspires me. And so you're going to get my best work when we work together. So really, I think the best thing for you would be me. And I know the best thing for you, for me, would be you. And that changes the nature of the sales conversation significantly. Rather than like, oh, cool, you have programming work to do? I totally do that. <laughs> totally <laughs> right exactly it just changes the nature of the sales conversation so i mean who do you who does that who does that person want to work with does that person want to work with 
say in this case, a programmer who will work with anybody that has a pulse in a checkbook or can fog up a mirror, or the person that does their best work with somebody just like them and loves working with somebody just like them. And that answer is rhetorical. I, I have the to question say, is rhetorical. The answer is obvious. Yeah. I have to say that I didn't realize who my um, ideal client was, so to speak, until I had worked with several different clients. And then mm. I really had a good idea. Oh, yeah, people like this, ooh, not so much. People like, oh, I can't get enough of working with people like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. Sometimes it'll take you a little while. Um, sometimes you know it because, you know, say you were working inside an organization, you know, where you did lots of different projects and you got a sense of it. But often, you know, you, you'll figure this out as you go. So what I say is, you know, this red velvet rope, um, it can be a little bit looser when you're starting so that you test the waters. And also, look, you, you, you know, you, 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 might need, you might have more bills that need paying right now and less to pay them with than maybe, you know, when you're a little more established, you've got a couple of projects under your belt. But then over time, you're going to tighten up that red velvet rope. But I do think it's important to, to have that filtration system in place right at the beginning so that you are thinking about who's ideal for you and who's not. And that you know if somebody's not ideal, at least you can manage against the issues that may come up. So setting expectations at the beginning of the relationship is essential, especially uh, for project-based work. Because if we don't set expectations when we're working together, you know, you're, you're probably not going to do what I want you to do even though you're doing what you're supposed to do because my expectation is completely different and my expectations are then going to change and they're going to be whatever I want. But if we set expectations and I know exactly what you're going to, not just what you're going to produce at the end of the project, but how you're going to work, how we're going to communicate, what you expect from me, right? And if you start very clearly and say, look, the way that I do my best work on this project, get you the, you know, the goal that you know, you've stated is this way. You need to produce this work by this date. You need to produce this work by this date. If your work is not produced by that date, the project will be late and that will be on you. The project may not be as uh, comprehensive and that will be on you, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that what happens is when we book the client, we're so scared to lose the client before we start that we don't set those clear expectations. We just start. But we want to set those clear expectations right at the beginning, as soon as they've said, yes, let's go. And, you know, you, you'll, you'll give them, tell them what they can expect from you, and they'll, they'll tell you, what here's what I would like to expect from you. And you can tell them, yeah, I can do that or I can't do that. But you'll say, look, when you email me, you'll get a response in 24 hours or 12 hours or whatever it is. When uh, something is broken, I'll explain why it's broken, when it's going to be fixed, and how I'm going to be fixing it, you know, within, you know, X number of hours after it breaks. This kind of clarity is, is really most important. And clear communication is what allows you to do great customer service. So people have lots of you know, different schemes for here. We do customer service. We're going to send out a card and we're going to you know, send them a ribbon that says on the ribbon, oh, my God, you know, tie it up. You know, I don't know. I'm, not, I'm, not you know, I'm going to tie up this project in a nice little bow, right? Something like that. But but none of that matters if your communication is not really clear. I would if I don't care. Look, we're working on something. Things are going to break. My my site went down for an hour yesterday. That hasn't happened in years. Went down for an hour yesterday, or all my sites did rather. All our email, everything, and no big deal because I've been working with a guy for eight years who does all my tech and his team, and he emails me immediately and says, here's what's going on, here's what we're doing, here's when we expect it to be fixed. Okay, fine. 
I don't forget about it. But if I can't find them and I don't know what's going on, then we, then we start freaking out because you have no idea what to expect. And, uh, and that's really, really important. So, you know, look, I'm a, I'm a, a boater. I'm obsessed with anything marine. And so I spend as much time as I can on my boat. And, and things are breaking all the time. I mean, I have two, you know, diesel engines. Each one is 480 horsepower. They're these massive things. And, you know, I know a little bit about uh, diesel, me- you know, mechanics because I've taken a couple of courses. But a little bit is the operative word. And so if I've got an issue and my, you know, mechanic comes and he can't figure it out and doesn't know what's going on uh, or he has to order a part and the, you know, the part's taking a while, I understand that he might make mistakes. I understand that a part might, you know, not come in. But if I don't get updates regularly, communication, then I think, well, he didn't order the part or he got the part, but he's not coming to fix it. You know, we make all these assumptions. So once you have made that sale, those expectations want to be really clearly set. Well, that makes a lot of sense. One thing that uh, that occurred to me while you were talking, um, and I'm going to kind of roll back the conversation a little bit, was uh, you were talking about that ideal client. And in the book, you talked about the different attributes they have, you know, where they, they work well with other people, you know, things like that. And I was like, well, how do you... How do you get in front of those people? And and that's when it occurred to me that your um, your niche and your target market are what tell you how to get in front of these people. Yeah. And, that, and then the the ideal client, the list of attributes that you want these people to have, that that's what you do when you're trying to get hired. Is you find out if they fit that bill. You nailed it exactly right, hundred percent. So uh, I'm giving a speech on Thursday. I'm doing this um, this tour for Entrepreneur Magazine around a bunch of cities, uh, giving these um, these keynotes. And you know, there'll be hundreds of people there who all need to get booked out, but not all of them will be ideal for me. They'll be ideal for sitting in that room listening to uh, a speech or buying a book when I don't interact with them. But they're not all ideal to be in one of my mentoring programs or to become a certified book yourself selling coach or any of that stuff. So my job is to try to connect with the people that I'm meant to serve by being really, really clear about who that person is. And that person will recognize themselves and go, I wonder if he's meant to serve me. That's what he's talking about. Maybe he is. They'll start to think about it. And then if I'm chatting with people afterwards or if I if somebody comes on to, you know, say my newsletter list and then comes to a webinar or comes to, uh, you know, other things where we can have more interaction, I can start getting to know them. So the sales process doesn't have to be wicked fast. It can be slower and, as a result, more effective because you're having these sales conversations with the right people. It's one of the reasons that uh, the always have something to invite people to offer is so effective. That's what I call it because it's what it is. I never came up with a clever name for it. But the always have something to invite people to offer uh, is similar to what you guys do here, except other people can participate in the actual experience. So when I started uh, my work, I used public speaking as a way to get in front of people. That was my primary marketing strategy, but I wasn't getting paid for it at that time. It's just, you know, I'd get anywhere I could go that my audience was at, I'd try to give a speech. But I didn't really, I wasn't into the selling from the stage thing. You know what I'm talking about. The, you know, hey, go to the back of the room. I've got these products for you and you better get them now. And, you know, if you don't, you know, life will end for you immediately and the whole room will blow up. So that wasn't really my thing, and but I still had to figure out a way to, to make a connection with them so I could carry on the sales conversation, that initial you know sales conversation, which is, hey, I do this, 
uh, and you need this. That's where it starts, right? So I said, well, what if I invite people to something that they would find relevant? Because, you know, relevant is really the word we should be using in the dictionary for, for marketing. We should take that word marketing out. We should call it relevancy. Because we're, what we're trying to do is be relevant. The more relevant we are, the more people pay attention to us. And if they pay attention to us, we have an opportunity to serve them. So I said, well, people don't love to be sold, but they love to get invitations, you know, to things that are relevant. So what if I just made an invitation? What if I say, hey, listen, every week at this time, I do a teleseminar. And the teleseminar is focused on thinking big. It's called the Think Big Revolution. Now, each week I'm going to bring a different topic that will help you think bigger about who you are and what you offer the world. And because the people I serve are service professionals, a lot of the topics that I bring or 100% of the topics I bring will be relevant to you. And we're certainly going to talk about, you know, different aspects of business, uh, business development. But we're going to also going to talk about life and mindset and personal development because I think those two things go hand in hand. And so I'm talking about, you know, what we do on this call. I say... So if you want to come, you know, here's how you get the information. I'll give you an invite every single week, tell you what the topic is and give you the, you know, the call in information. And if you want to come, you come. If you don't want to come, you don't come. I never sell anything on the call. Let me be really clear about that. It's really just a place for about 10 minutes. I come and introduce the topic and then we talk about it and I facilitate this conversation. And I was doing this with hundreds and hundreds of people over time. You just have to get good at facilitating a conversation. But there were three reasons that it was so effective. Number one, it was consistent. And consistency demonstrates credibility. It demonstrates reliability. It demonstrates that you have dedicated yourself to serving them. That's number one. Number two is frequent. Because you can do something consistently, but once a year is not going to stay top of mind. Once a year is a one-off event, even if you do it every year. So that's not enough. It's not an always have something to invite people to offer. That's a, well, it's the event is January, it's December. Now I have something to invite people to. So always means it's frequent. And then number three, it brings people together. Because what, what, what we're all looking for, especially for the people that I serve, you know, I serve freelancers, right, service professionals. So they want to connect with others. And, you know, they often feel like they're alone. So if they could get involved in this conversation, not just listen to it, but actually get into the conversation and, and they could share their opinions and they could talk to each other and they can support each other. Well, now we've got a community. And when you are a leader of a community, people see that as something significant. That lends a lot of credibility to you. And of course, ultimately, a lot of the questions come back to me and I am able to answer them uh, as uh, sort of the authoritative uh, figure on the call. And that, of course, is very effective. So that was doing two things for me. One, it was, it was, um, it was progressing my brand identity as, as the guy to call when you're tired of thinking small and also demonstrating that I could produce the results that they wanted, which was getting booked solid and that I was meant to serve them. And I'd find that 85% of the, of the people that hired me in those days were all coming through that call. It was a very early offer that I would make. There's very no risk to them. And not everybody would come every week, mind you. But even if they only came once a month, they would know that I did it every week. Same time, same place. The guy keeps doing it. And if I couldn't be there for whatever reason, I had to be on a plane or something, I would ask someone who was part of this group to take the call for me and lead it. Someone who was participating regularly. So they felt some ownership. But at the end of the day, it was my asset, right? And that kind of asset is significant. So what you do here is fantastic. It's excellent. I mean, it's top notch. And the only difference... Here is that the people on the outside 
who are listening can participate on the inside the way they could do, uh, you know, in this uh, type of always have something to invite people to offer. But this can be, you know, as effective, certainly. It's just a little bit different. That's all. Does that make sense? Do you see what I'm, uh, where, I'm, uh, where I'm getting at with this? Yeah, for I'm, sure. I'm seriously tempted to start one, like, next week. <laughs> yeah, you absolutely should. No, I mean, it, this is one of those things, look, you got to put some work into it, right? It, three weeks does not, you know, an asset build, right, right? right? So I've had people come say, Michael, I read your book. I tried to always have something to invite people to offer. It's just not working. I say, oh, so how long have you been trying it? Three weeks. And I said, seriously? I mean, on my third week, I had five people. You got to earn it. You got to earn attention. Well, you got to earn an asset. Yeah. It's the same as the podcast. I mean, I, I think the first couple of weeks we did this, I mean, I might have had some people come over from the other shows that I do, but, you know, we, we may have had 100 people listen to the show. Yeah. And in the grand scheme of things, there's not a lot of people listening to the show, but now we have quite a few more. And yeah, it's the same thing. We're consistent. We've, we've put out 81 episodes every week. That's um, 81 episodes. Wait a second. Did you say 81 episodes every week? This is the 81st episode. Yes. Oh, you do one a week. Yeah. Okay. The way you said it, I thought you did 81 episodes per week. No, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not that good. Uh, That would be impressive. Uh, but of course, you'd never make any money because you can right. never do any work with clients, right? Yes. But it wouldn't be impressive. But 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 it's yeah, the same right. thing, you know. And and people complain, you know. Well, I don't have very many people listening to my show, and inevitably, the folks who have been doing it for a while—that's what they tell them. You, yeah. you have to keep going. Yeah, and look, you know, you also need to do what you need. The, the The marketing that you do needs to be in an area of a natural strength, a natural talent. Mm-hmm. So, for example. If somebody starts a podcast, but they're not particularly uh, inquisitive or particularly entertaining or particularly energetic, uh, they don't have the voice for it, whatever it is, it might not work very well, even if they're great at what they do. Uh, even if they are compelling people, that particular initiative might not work. The, the, the kind of call that I did might not work if you have trouble managing large groups of people in that kind of dynamic, if you, if people run over you, you know, uh, if people, you know, uh, uh, if the guest just keeps going, keeps going, keeps going, and you never get anything in there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and every time you start, uh, 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 then, you know, you, you might not have a, a talent for it. And of course, these are skills that you can learn too, but same thing with blogging, you know, oh my God, so-and-so has this huge blog. I want to blog too. That'd be so cool. If you're not, you know, and if you don't have a natural talent for writing and then skill built on top of that, you know, you might not be compelling as a blogger. And as a result, you're not going to build a, a big audience, even over time. So we want to make sure that the things we're picking are in our areas of natural uh, talent. So there are six core self-promotion strategies. You guys know what they are. They're networking, which I, I look at as developing deeper relationships with the people that you already know. I loved the way you explained that in the book. Because oh, yeah. I, I hate going to the networking events and you come away with a bunch of business cards for people you still don't know. Oh, yeah. I, I, you know that I can proudly say in my entire uh, career as a freelancer, I have never gone to one quote-unquote networking event huh. ever. But people will say, God, that Michael, he is a good networker. Now, I, let's just forget about the word networking for a second. Let's call it connecting. So, again, you have to figure out you don't have to do anything, but it's a great idea to figure out ways to, 
to do what you need to do in the way that you are comfortable with. You know, essentially, you didn't write the rules, but you can certainly break them. Meaning you don't have to go to uh, a BNI group, even though then BNI is great in lots of ways, but you don't have to do that kind of stuff. You, you know, I think freelancers like to break the rules. We say, you know what, forget about the way everybody else does it. I'm going to do it my way. And that's very good. We should try to do that in as many ways as possible. So I had to figure out another way of building my sphere of influence, getting to know the people that I needed to know. So if you look at networking, I look at networking as developing deeper relationships with the people that I already know, because I feel that if I have deep relationships with the people that I already know that I think are relevant to my business, not just people who are going to buy my services, but people who are going to open doors, get me uh, meetings, you know, for speaking gigs, uh, introductions to various people in the publishing industry, all the things that are relevant to the, the development of the business. If I have real relationships with these people, then they will do these things for me. But if I have just sort of cursory relationships, yeah, you know, I can't, I would feel bad asking because I feel like I've earned that right. So there are three things that I do each day and I recommend other people do. Number one, I suggest that you introduce two people to each other who do not yet know each other, but might find each other relevant. Now, these are people you know, mind you, and not people you don't know. You need to know these people because you need to know what's relevant to them. Now, it could be around something that's personal. It could be around something that's professional. I might, you know, say, hey, you know, uh, Tom, you got to meet Steve. Steve, you got to meet Tom. You guys are both uh, sailors and you're, you're in the same area, I mean, like two years away from each other. I wonder if you ever met. If, if you haven't, uh, here's each other's info. Uh, peace out. See you later. You know, happy sailing, right? And because I know the boating community, uh, nine times out of ten, is a very social community and we always love meeting other boaters. Uh, they probably, oh, hey, you know what, I'm down, at, uh, here's my, I'm a D1 on, and slip D1 at this marina. Hey, why don't you come by? Or I'll, I'll stop by. And so they might meet each other. Great, personal. Now, if they develop a friendship, wonderful. If they don't, no big deal. But they're always going to remember that, that I made that introduction to support them. And if they end up hating each other, they're not going to blame me for that. You know, I can't believe you introduced me to that guy, you know, because the guy that you, he's not, he's not going to be an asshole because your friends are not, you know, a-holes, right? They're nice people. So you don't have to worry about that. So that, that can be for personal, not for business. I might say, Hey, uh, oh, sweet. You know, um, uh, Mary, I, I know you program on Rails and, uh, Sally, I know you also program on Rails. I'm wondering if you guys know each other. You know, maybe uh, you'd be good uh, collaborators, networkers, etc. Um, here's your information. Peace out. See you later. That's it. And uh, I do that each day with two people in my network. That's it. That's it. And you guys are, are, are you understand? You guys are much better at math than me. But uh, there's something called factorial math. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the idea is, you know, if you know ten people, there's about forty-five connections in those ten people. Now you're gonna have to find them because you got to find things that are relevant, uh, uh, you know, to each other in, in those matchups. But nonetheless, you can match up. Uh, uh, ten. Uh, if you have ten people, you can make a lot of connections, even just with those ten people. So you don't need to know uh, tons and tons of people. I call this the network of ninety. You know, because I really don't think you need to know that many more people to get booked solid. I think you need to have a good, strong, solid base uh, of your network, and that's going to book you solid. I think that with the you know advent of Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook, etc., where where the goal is to just collect. More and more and more. Everybody 
it bases their reputation on how many followers they have, how many likes they have. Well, forget, forgetting book solid, those kind of loose relationships are not going to open the doors for you in the same way. They absolutely can. And I've, I've had lots of opportunities through those platforms. I think they're great. I'm just saying that we're often focusing on collecting rather than connecting inside our networks. So we collect, hey, how are you? Great to see you. Woohoo! You know, tweet at you later, right? And then, you know, that's it. And now we're going to pump stuff out and maybe they'll pay attention to us. Maybe they won't. And that's not going to develop a deep relationship for us. So if we meet someone on Twitter, we want to move that relationship to email. We want to move the relationship from email to on the phone. We want to move that relationship on the phone to actually meeting in person. You want to keep moving forward, just like dating, guys. Everybody knows how to do this. So, you know, you start with this sort of slow development of relationship and trust is built because commitments are made and fulfilled. That's what trust is based on. You make a commitment and then you fulfill it. You make a commitment and fulfill it. So the introducing of two people is very relevant and they'll always remember you for it and you'll stay top of mind. And when they know somebody or that needs something that you have, they'll think of you first because you're top of mind. The second thing that I do each day, which is very, very effective, is I share some information with at least one person or two people in my network. Let's just say two for, you know, just for the sake of, for sake of argument. Let's just say two people. Now, it's, it's not something that I've done per se. Let's say I saw a great uh, blog post by Curtis or I saw an excellent uh, podcast that I thought was really, really um, relevant to a particular person inside my network. I might say, you know, hey, Steve, I just saw this uh, podcast uh, it's about, um, uh, I don't know, uh, let's see, what's, uh, Tom, what's, what's right in front of me? Uh, it's about how to balance your checkbook. And you were just talking to me about balancing your checkbook and what a pain in the neck it was. This is going to be awesome for you. Now, if Steve doesn't know how to balance his checkbook at 45 years old, then he's got some problems, but I saw a check on my desk, so that's my example. So he, <laughs> I, so I said to him, I said, look, here's the article. I immediately thought of you. Have you seen it? If not, here's the link. What do you think? And now we're in a conversation about something that's relevant to him. You know, if uh, if I know that, say, uh, who, Ash, you do Ruby, right? I do. Yeah. So, you know, let's say I know that uh, you're a Ruby, you know, on Rails person. And I see this big article in the New York Times about Ruby. And I thought, well, that's really interesting. I don't really get it because it's not my area. But I know that you will. So I say, hey, have you seen this article? It's really neat. It just came out in the Times today. You know, have a look. Now, what does that mean? It means you have to pay attention to what's going on around you. You have to read. You have to, you know, be aware of what's relevant to the people that are in your network. And if you are, you'll stay top of mind for them. And you'll know, they'll know you're thinking of them and you know what's relevant to them. And they'll also see you as a learned person. Now, you can collect articles that are interesting to you and potentially to your network. And you can share them at a later date. Like if, you know, you meet a, a guy named Paul tomorrow. And, you know, Paul's a Ruby person. You know, had this great article that you found like a month or two ago. You say, hey, have you seen this article, right? So uh, you can collect these and, and use them at will. Uh, and uh, then you don't have to be worried about, I don't know what to send today. But you start getting in the habit and all of a sudden you'll find yourself doing it without even having to think about it. Go, oh, there's something, got to send that to Steve. So that's the second thing I suggest you do each day. The third thing I suggest you do each day is just find a way to share some compassion with somebody in your network. So you call them up, you know, write them a note, send them some chocolates, whatever it is. Just say, hey, heard you were going through a tough time. I'm here to support you. 
Or if they're not going through a tough time, they just got, you know, some great project or just achieved some goal of theirs, got some press that was really cool. You, you, you send them a congratulatory gift or present or call them, take them out to lunch, something. So you find a way to do that with at least one person every day. Now let's, let's do the math on this. Okay. Two and two is four and one is five. So that's your connecting with five people a day. Introduce two, share articles with two, just compassion with one. Five. If there's five days in a week, what's five times five guys? 25. What's 20? There's four weeks in a month. What's 25 times four? 100. That's 100 people that you're staying in touch with every single month in a significant and connected, meaningful way. Do you think you'd be booked solid if you were staying in touch with a, a group of relevant people, a hundred of them every single week who had influence or, uh, you know, uh, in your particular field. What do you think? I think my head just exploded. Yeah. Good. In, in a good, hopefully in a good way. Yes. In a good way. Okay, cool. So now that, I mean, let's, 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 um, let's explode the rest of you and go one, one more. Let's, let's look at direct outreach. Okay. So there are people that you'd like to know that you do not yet know. And Often what happens is you reach out to somebody when you need something from them. Like, hey, Michael, I just wrote a book. I'm wondering if you'd blurb it. Or, hey, Michael, I just wrote a book. I'm wondering if you'll promote it for me. And I don't know who they are until that first email came in. The first call comes in. I love and, those. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, um, you know, if it's somebody, if, if Seth Godin introduced me and said, hey, Michael, I got a friend who just wrote a book. Will you look at it to blurb it? Of course, Seth's friend, right? So that's that. That's different. That's why the network is so important. That's why staying in contact and deep relationships with these people is so important because then you can do that for others in your network. But if you don't know uh, the person you're reaching out to, you're asking for something, generally you get a no. But if you've been developing a relationship with that person over time by staying connected but not asking for anything, well, then you might have an opportunity to ask for something when you've earned more trust. So, you know, you create what I call the list of 20, 20 people that you do not yet know, but would like to know. And if there's only five that come to mind, five, whatever, I don't care. It doesn't matter. I'm just using a 20 because it works out over the course of the month, uh, nicely mathematically. So each day you reach out to at least one person on that list. So let's say you want to get to know this really cool, influential programmer in your industry named Bob. And you say, and you say, well, how do I reach out to Bob today? Well, you go look at his Facebook page, you go look at his Twitter page, you go look at his LinkedIn, you go look at something, whatever. I don't know. And you send him a little note, either through those platforms or via email or however you, you know, want to contact him and say, hey, listen, I just saw you did this thing, super cool, right on, keep up the great work, peace out. That's it. Then they go to the bottom of your list of 20, and number two becomes one, number 20 becomes 19. And you do this something similar next day for the person that is now number one. And guess what will happen a month later? The person who was on the bottom of the list will come back to the top of the list and you find another way to connect with them. And you know what? You might start a conversation with them and then you move them into your network because all of a sudden now you've started to develop a relationship because they might respond and I go, eh, this, this person's really cool, right? So, you know, this seems scary to a lot of people because you're reaching out to people you don't know, but... You do it in such a soft, easy way. You're not asking for anything. Who doesn't love to be flattered, right? You know, people come, Michael, I'm sure you've heard this. I love your book. I'm sure, you, I'm, I'm sure you're bored of that. Are you kidding? <laughs> who, who, how, what, what, tell me one author that gets bored of people telling them that they love their work. I mean, 
that's that's crazy. No, please tell me that's so cool. Thank you. And then you remember that person. Whereas if that person comes up to you and say, uh, hey, listen, Michael, uh, th- thanks for coming to give the speech. Listen, I was wondering, could you do this for me? It's a totally different dynamic. You know, they run up to you and give them, you know, your book. Can you carry this home for me uh, and read it and, and tell them what you think? And by the way, just if anybody, if anybody's writing any books, don't give them to the speaker that was on the stage after their speech because they don't want to put it in their bag to carry it home because they travel very light. And so you don't want to give them stuff. Say, hey, I'd love to send you this thing. Do you have uh, an address, a business address that I can send it to? I don't want you to make you carry it home, but uh, I'd love you to see it, and it's really cool. You know, you can do that. That's fine. But in, in, in general, you want to start uh, a little uh, – look, here's another example. You see somebody give a speech. You go to South by Southwest. You love it. Oh, that dude was awesome. He's kind of getting mobbed, you know, by lots of people, and you don't want to be in the mob. You know, you don't want to just be one of many. So as you see him a little bit later, you say, hey, dude, you rock. Great speech. Thanks so much. And, of course, because you're – uh, interesting looking, you've got a cool bow tie or you've got a funky hat on or whatever it is, something that is easily uh, uh, remembered. You know, uh, a week or two later, you shoot him a quick email, say, hey, uh, by the way, I, I was the one with that funky hat or the bow tie. Uh, you know, I, I was running by you real quick, just, you know, wanted to say great speech, but uh, I want to reiterate that. And here's a real specific takeaway uh, that I had from that speech. Thanks so much. Peace out. See you later. And you continue to develop relationships that way. And then over time, if you need something, you will, you know, have the door will be open to you uh, to ask for. It doesn't mean you're going to get it, but at least the door will be open. So those are five, uh, uh, four things that you can do every single day. And you know how many minutes they take? I don't know, 10. 10 minutes. I have a a piece of software that can help you do it. I don't make much money from it, but it's a a cool thing to tell you about if you want. Um, Because sometimes people have trouble. How do I manage that thing? You know, how do I manage it? Um, and, and so I've got some software that helps you do that. That's awesome. I want to go back really quickly to the have something to always invite people to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm curious, are there other things that you can do besides the, the webinar? Oh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. You can do stuff in person, right? So, uh, you know, let, let's take um, – what, what are those things called uh, that they do at uh, Facebook? Are they like coding competitions? What are those things Like called? hackathons? Yeah, hackathons. Obviously, they do not just at Facebook, but, you know, as a, as a, a Luddite uh, uh, compared to you guys, right? Um, I know that because I saw the Facebook movie. So a hackathon. You can put together, you know, monthly hackathons. Super cool. You can do them, you know, I don't know if you can do uh, hackathons online. You can have to do them in person for, you know, competition purposes, but they can be done in person or uh, virtually if possible. Um, you know, if someone's in the fitness industry, they can, you know, say, hey, let's meet up every uh, week at this time at this place and then take you for a different workout each time. Someone's in, the, in real estate, say, listen, uh, I bring a, a minivan, I take only 10 people and I do a tour of, uh, of, of all the developmental properties going up uh, and investment properties if that's their particular industry. Uh, if someone's an interior designer, uh, they can partner up with, uh, with other types of designers, contractors other uh, subs that work on uh, homes, etc., And they can do little events where there's a, someone presenting on a particular design concept or, uh, you know, a building concept and they all invite all their people and they do it all the time. And again, you don't have to have it packed. Just the fact that people know you're doing this is remarkable in and of itself. So there's no limits to this. This is something I made up. You know, people say, well, how do you come up with this stuff? I don't know. You just make it up. <laughs> I mean, really, it's true. You just make it up. And if it works, keep doing it. 
So uh, there's no rules, but the framework that I have seen work effectively is consistent, frequent, and brings people together. That's awesome. Yeah. The, the gym and dojo my wife goes to, they, uh, I want to say it's every month or a few weeks they have a bring a friend where mm-hmm. each person who's like a subscriber can bring a friend and work out and they get a lot of business like word of mouth business and stuff like that just from that <laughs> because you know in a way it's basically doubling their potential clients and they can talk to the people and see and you know all that stuff and it works great for them they don't do any real advertising or marketing and they're growing yeah. pretty fast that's great you know um, I've, I've studied martial arts for about 15 years and the, and the and over time, that's one of the things we did, except we just did it weekly open practice for anybody. So it wasn't even just to bring a friend. It was weekly open practice. Wednesday, 6.30 class, open practice. Anybody can come. Whether you know this discipline or not, doesn't matter. You want to come check out this discipline? Come. You'll roll. You'll have a great time. Um, if you're you know, from another school from somewhere, come. You'll have a great time. There's no selling there. It's just we, we roll. And that works really, really well. And, and they like that, you know, they know you do it. So it's cool. I think it's great. So what's, what's the thing that you find that most people have the hardest time with, with the book yourself solid process? That's an interesting question. It depends for different people, of course. I think sometimes freelancers have a hard time staying clearly focused. They will go in a lot of different directions because there's a lot of different things that interest them. And there are so, there's so much information out there. There's so many different people talking about, you, this is, this is the way to go. This is the way to go. You got to do this. You got to do this. I mean, God, you know, if you try to keep up with like every new cool platform that, you know, Mashable wrote about every day, you have nothing to do. I mean, you couldn't do anything else but that. And so what we need to do is look at the base minimum requirements for, for certain things. So one of the guys in my mentoring program asked, he's a, like a search engine guy and does, a, does websites and stuff. And he said, you know, I use a, he goes, I, I, I'm like shiny new object with software. I love new software. It's totally up my alley. And like, I'm always getting new software and thinking oh, I'm going to use it for this and that. And I feel like I'm spending a lot of money and uh, I don't always end up using it. You know, how should I look at this? What should I do? I say, okay, well, um, first things first, what's the base minimum requirement you need to run your business in the following areas from a marketing perspective, sales perspective, process perspective, and project perspective? So do you need a software to help you with projects? Yes. How many pieces of software? Just one. That would be the base minimum requirement. Great. You use one. Do you need any software to help you with, uh, you know, uh, email collection and online newsletter, you know, online uh, opt-in conversion? Yes, I do. How many pieces of software? Just one. Great. And you go through that. Okay, well, that means, you know, like we came up with, he said he needed five pieces of software. I said, how many pieces of software do you have right now? He's like, oh, 25 maybe. I said, great. So you're going to cut 20 of those. You're going to decide these five are what I'm going to use. And you're going to use them, period. Now, if you add another, you know, leg to the business or you're doing something else that's generating revenue for which you need a piece of software, then maybe you'll get it. But until another piece of software produces revenue for you, you stick with what you have and you sell what you have. So you're staying incredibly focused. You know, certain offerings, you know, you like, look, I do, I do a a, a four-week intensive we know exactly how we run it. We run it every three months, you know, like clockwork. We have assistance in place. 
it's all mapped out. Great. We're going to do a new one. Um, here it goes. Uh, next time, uh, you say, and then we do a year-long mentoring program. We do uh, a year-long coaching training program. They're all mapped out. They're all designed. We know exactly what we're going to be doing each day as we move forward. Now, things will come up. Things will change. We'll want to make improvements. And, and then we do that. But the, the, the clearer we are with respect to what we do, meaning how we produce the results for the people that we uh, serve, the less we need to do in the business. We use this software to do this. That's it. And let me focus then on bringing in the new business and not just sitting behind the computer playing with stuff. Does that make sense? So I think that's an area where people often have a hard time. And for someone else, it's not going to be, you know, software programs. It's going to be, you know, they, they, they just like, they can't stop reading about, uh, reading new books about like new strategic ways to implement, you know, Six Sigma design or something, you know, it's different for everybody, but often less is more in, in, in the, in the freelance world. You get simple. So one or two things to a very specific group, do a great job with it, become the best in your field at it. And, um, and then you can grow from there. If you want to scale, you want to bring in other people to work for you. You know, you decide you're going to start to turn your intellectual property into software, whatever it is, fine, do it. But stay really focused. Uh, one last thing, and this is kind of a long answer, but I mean, everybody knows 37 Signals, of course. Right. And yeah, 37 Signals is one of the most impressive companies in the industry. They have a few pieces of software. They're super clean. I mean, look, you guys are, well, you know, I, I'm not saying clean from a programming perspective. I don't know what the behind the scenes is. But to the consumer, they're super clean. They're very, you know, easy to use. Uh, there's not a million different things added every week and, um, you know, they're reliable. Great. And that's what they sell. And they don't have a huge company doing it, but they make a ton of money. So that kind of, you know, consistency, clarity, focus is really important. One awesome. piece of advice I heard um, at a conference, it was basically related to marketing. It's you basically pick one like tool or system or whatever and learn it. Like, so not only you're an expert at it, but you know it so well that you're bored with it and not bored <laughs> because of like shiny object, but like, oh yeah, I know that's like the back of my hand. And yeah. she was advising, once you get to that point, then you can look at getting a second one. And yes. the more I think about it, the more I can like, oh, well, you can do that with, you know, software too. Like you could be, you know, the person, the expert at this e-commerce software and you yeah. do it day in, day out and you get bored with it because you're that good. And you can yeah. you know, pivot that to whatever you want. Well, you know, what you're talking about is the pursuit of mastery. That is how you master something. You know, Olympic athletes don't compete in nine. You, you don't compete in hockey and ice skating. Oh, excuse me, those are the same things. You don't compete in hockey and gymnastics as well as wrestling. It just is impossible to be the best at all of those things. Michael Jordan tried to also play baseball. It was too late for him. He couldn't, he couldn't get good enough at that stage. Couldn't do both. One. And that's the pursuit of mastery. Same, think martial arts. You, you don't master martial arts by trying 10 at one time. You learn one until you're proficient. Then you go learn another, you're proficient. Then another until you're proficient. There's a great book uh, by George Leonard called Mastery. And it's all about mastery. The difference between uh, dabblers, uh, people who dabble, people who obsess, and people who master. And they're very, very different uh, mindsets and, and ways of being. And I think you hit that nail right on the head, man. You know, that's it. You know, it, you, you guys have heard, of course, 
the, you know, the, the sort of quadrant of the, the learning development quadrant. I don't remember what it's called. But the idea is that when you're starting, you start to learn something, you're unconsciously incompetent. You, you don't even know what you don't know. Then as you start to learn, you become consciously incompetent. You go, I know now what I need to know, but I don't know it. Then you become consciously competent. So now you know what to do, but you have to think about it a lot. And then finally, you become unconsciously competent, where you don't even need to think about it. You can just do it like it's like it's nothing. When I go give a speech, I don't need PowerPoint. I don't need all that stuff. I don't need notes to look at. I'm now unconsciously competent. I could be you know, doing something completely different five minutes before going on stage. I can walk on stage and I can do it because I've been doing it that long. And that's, that's where you want to get. And that's how you become the best at something. All right. Well. This has just been an awesome discussion, and I need to go back through it and pull a whole bunch of action steps out for my my list of things that I want to do. Cool. I'm glad it was helpful. Yeah, I also want to say that I listened to the audiobook, and then I read yeah. the book when I had time, and it was fun to listen to you talk, but it was also just... It was interesting because I can kind of let it flow by me when I listen to it, and then really pick out the details when I read it. Ah, interesting. Yeah, sure. And there was a ton, ton of value there. So thank you again for writing the book. Oh, you're so welcome. It's my pleasure, obviously. All right. Well, are you going to be uh, speaking or participating in events that we might be interested in? Well, sure. There's actually these Entrepreneur Magazine events uh, that I mentioned are free. Uh, Not for Entrepreneur. They've got to pay for them. But they uh, do it, you know, for promotional purposes. And um, they're really fantastic. Um, I've got one this Thursday uh, in Teaneck, New Jersey. They call it New York City. They're just doing it in New Jersey right out, out of the city because it's cheaper. And I guess New York City sounds cooler. Nobody's going to go to Teaneck. But uh, they're marketing it in New York City, obviously. So it's uh, this Thursday, Teaneck, New Jersey. Uh, you can find out. If just All you have to do is um, do a uh, Google search uh, for Michael Port Entrepreneur Event uh, Thought Leaders, New Jersey, something like that. You'll find it. Uh, and then I do one about two weeks from now in D.C., uh, those are, and that's free as well. I don't remember the date, uh, but I do know it's in DC, actually DC, not next door in Virginia, but in DC. Um, so those two are, are free, uh, upcoming. And then look, I, obviously I, I do all sorts of stuff, uh, that, you know, people can have access to free and paid. And, um, they can go to bookyourselfsolid.com and they can get three free chapters from Book Yourself Solid Illustrated. And the, the, the fact of the matter is I actually send them out many more than three free chapters. I just keep surprising them with, hey, here's some more chapters for free. You know, here's some more. Because I think it's a good idea to surprise people with goodies uh, and over-deliver on the promise that you made. So bookyourselfsolid.com. I've got a blog there. Lots of good stuff. And um, I'm always around. And I think hopefully I'll be around for many more years to come. So thanks so much for having me. All right. Well, thanks for coming. We'll go ahead and do the picks and then we'll wrap up the show. Ash, do you want to start us off with the picks? Yes, I have three this week. Um, this past year and continuing into the next one, I'm trying to do better by myself and to kind of treat myself and my body better. Um, so there's this post on Lifehacker about how we can eat better while we're working from home. Uh, so that's the first one. The second one is a talk from uh, JSConf EU, which just happened uh, a few weeks ago. Um, called Pe- People First, and it's uh, the slide deck that I'm sharing, and it's a really great read-through um, about the kinds of actions that we should be taking um, in our work every day to kind of consider the people first. 
And then the last one is um, Learn X in Y Minutes. It's a list of languages um, with kind of quick ways to kind of dig into them uh, to see if it's something you might be interested in. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of this one because it's also translated into quite a few languages. So um, for instance, there are uh, there's a translation of um, learning Erlang in Russian. Um, there's one for JavaScript and Korean. Uh, so it helps uh, a lot of different people. And those are my three. Awesome. Eric, what are your picks? Okay, so I got two today. Uh, the first one is first20hours.com. It's uh, Josh Kaufman who wrote the personal MBA. It's his next book. The website alone is worth it. Even if you don't get the book, he has a, a TED Talk video and then there's, I think, like a Vimeo video and some audio. But he basically talks about where if you don't want to get to like that mastery level, but you just want to be like decent enough at some skill, like this is the process he went through. And I think what he, he learned how to like kite surf, computer programming, yoga, uh, go, all that stuff. And basically the idea was that in 20 hours, you can be good enough at something that, and that you have the skill. Um, and it's, it's interesting because it's kind of the idea of, you know, if you know you're not going to be like a concert pianist, like, but you want to learn how to p- play piano, you can use these concepts to learn. And then the second pick, it's a, it's a fun one. It's a TED talk by Apollo Robbins. It's called The Art of Misdirection. Um, he's basically called the greatest pick, pickpocket in the world. I saw that one. It's yeah, it's insane. It's great. Like I had to rewind it a couple times just to watch it. It's, I mean, you're basically watching like a magician on stage and it's, it's amazing. It's only like an eight minute video. So it's well worth watching. Awesome. Curtis, what are your picks? I've got sort of two. First one I want to pick is Jetpack, which is a WordPress plugin. And it does a whole bunch of other stuff, but they just added, added Google plus authorship, which will put a, uh, your image right beside your search results in Google uh, and links up your Google Plus profile. But Jetpack is also very aggressive with activating all its new features. So I always install a plugin called Manual Control, which doesn't let it auto-activate random features that may conflict with other things. Very nice. All right, I've got a couple of picks. My first pick is ShareMouse. It's software that allows you to share your keyboard and mouse across multiple machines. I was using Synergy for a while, and it just quit working. I couldn't make it work. Um, I was also using before that uh, Teleport. And again, it worked for a while and then it didn't work. ShareMouse is a paid product, but it has been awesome so far. And uh, the reason that I really came down to need it is because my client actually shipped me a laptop. And I have to do all my development on their laptop. So <laughs> I would much rather share the keyboard and mouse and then shell into it and uh, and, and do it that way. And uh, obviously, it's also set up for the VPN and stuff. So there are some other concerns there as well. Um, my next pick is TweetBot. Uh, that's the software that I use to manage uh, my Twitter accounts. And uh, I really, really like it. it. It works really well. It notifies me when people have tweeted any of the accounts that I'm watching. And uh, I just can't say enough good things about it. And then finally, the last one is a book. My wife actually got these on Audible. And... Uh, She's been listening to them. She really liked them. So uh, she recommended them to me, and I've been listening to them as well. Um, they are the Michael Vay books by um, Richard Paul Evans, and they're they're really fun to listen to. Basically, it's about a boy that uh, he he has the this power to control electricity, more or less. And uh, anyway, so there's all this. Um, there's an organization out there that 
um, accidentally created these mutations in people and then they're trying to control it. And it's really, really interesting. So anyway, go check those books out. And Michael, what are your picks? Sure. So I mentioned uh, earlier that there's a little software that can help you with those uh, book yourself style networking techniques. And uh, I, I collaborated with Contactually, which you might be familiar with, uh, to create a Book Yourself Solid edition. So that's at uh, contactually.com forward slash BYS. And um, I'll give you those links so you'll, you'll have them. And um, it's really cool. All the things that I mentioned are, are actually uh, in there. Like you, you can make the introductions really easily. There's templates that will help you do it. You can store all of your articles. Uh, you see an article online, you click a little button, a little plug-in in your browser, it'll store it in there for you so you can pull it out and use it for these purposes. Um, and it does a really good job of tracking uh, all of this for you and, and it'll, it'll feed you the people at the time uh, on, the, on, the, on the schedule that you tell it to. So you're never uh, contacting somebody too much. And if you're contacting them, uh, if you're talking to them in email uh, outside of the program, the program knows so it doesn't tell you, hey, Hey, you know, reach out, you know, to so-and-so, even though you've been talking to them all day. So that's a great one. Another, I, I actually put this list together when I, when I came, like of all the things we use, like it's a long list. And then when I looked at the, your site, there was like a long list. So I thought, oh, I'm supposed to put together like a long list of all this stuff. So I'll just, let me just scan through it and decide which ones. I did put Mastery by George Leonard on there. Um, and uh, I'll pop the link in here for you. So that's one. That's a wonderful book. I think you should read. George Leonard also has a uh, black belt. He's a teacher in uh, Aikido. Uh, and that's one of the reasons uh, he's uh, so focused on the concept of mastery. There's a video that I absolutely recommend everybody see on TED by Andrew Stanton. It's called The Clues to a Great Story. And he is um, one of the founders of DreamWorks. I believe he's one of the founders, but uh, he, he was, uh, you know, behind Nemo, Finding Nemo, and Toy Story, and Wally, and it's extraordinary. He just he 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 looks down a lot at his um, um, confidence monitor because I think it's the first time he gave the speech, so you can see him looking for all his for a lot of his words. But nonetheless, the way he teaches you to tell stories, which is essential for marketing, for public speaking, for anything you're doing, is outstanding. It's one of the best that I have ever seen. Um, and uh, do you want more? I got lots of them. Uh, I use onepassword.com for my uh, passwords. I, I live and die by that thing. I think it's just so important. And then one personal one, which anybody who is even remotely interested in any kind of boating, power boating, sail boating, anything, you should check out Chapman, which is a piloting and seamanship, basically, Bible. And it's in the 66th edition, if that tells you anything. It's like four inches thick. And, um, and it has everything you could possibly ever want to know about anything uh, related to boating. Awesome. I love it when pick, people pick the things that they're passionate about, like the, the sailing and stuff. All right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, wrap up the show. Thanks for coming again, Michael. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. You guys are great. Yeah. So you can go check him out, michaelport.com. Uh, also, go check out the... What is it? Thinking Big Revolution? Uh, well, there's thinkbigrevolution.com. Uh, I'm not in there as much these days, uh, but I'd say the primary places to go are bookyourselfsolid.com or michaelport.com. All right. Sounds good. Well, thanks for coming. We'll uh, wrap up the show and catch, catch you all next week.